Our reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Warwick. What a wonderful passage to delve into together. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been asked this icebreaker question? What time period do you actually belong in? This is, of course, an internet quiz where you can find out. And here's another one. Uh, What time period should you have been born in? Based on how you live and what you like, what time do you belong in? What do you reckon? Maybe the Roaring Twenties, maybe the Renaissance, maybe you love dinosaurs and you want to live in the Jurassic period, although I don't think that was one of the answers. I don't need to worry. Wonder, of course, I have done the quiz and I have the answer. The Middle Ages. (laughs) When knights had chivalrous codes and noble women were treated as treasures. But don't read too much into it. But today, we're not asking what time should you live in, we're asking what time are we living in? What is the present time and how should we live in it? As we look at our passage today, we're going to see that to understand the present time is to understand that Jesus is coming back soon. And as to how to live in it, well, let's take a look at our passage. Let me start at verse 7 to give you guys a bit of context. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So we've got this question. What do we owe and to who? Well, to the tax office, we owe taxes. To the government, we owe respect, and to one another, we owe love. Love is the principle that underpins all of how we're called to relate to one another. And it's a continuous call. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt 
to love one another. When you pay your taxes when they're due, then there's nothing left outstanding. That's it. But when you pay the love that's due to others and you do it again and you do it again, at the end of each day, that debt of love remains. So that you can never say, I've loved enough, I've got no more love to give, or I don't need to love others today. Paul uses this debt analogy as a segue. He uses it to bring us from thinking about how we interact with authorities to how we live with others. How we live with others as we wait for Jesus. And this is how we do that. We live with others by loving them. Love that is shaped and guided by obedience to God. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Paul is connecting our debt of love with our duty to obey God's law because love and obedience go hand in hand. Love for one another and obedience to God belong together. John Stott puts it like this. Love and the law need each other. Love needs the law for its direction while law needs love for its inspiration. That's because God's law teaches us how to love others. In 2015, actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt starred in The Walk. It's a biopic about Philippe Petit, a French high-wire artist. He's the artist who walked between the, a tightrope between the Twin Towers in New York in 1974. He was balancing 1,300 feet off the ground. To prepare for the role, Joseph Gordon-Levitt trained uh, tightrope and wires, and there he is practicing his walk. And that man next to him, that is Philippe Petit himself. That's the best person to learn from, the original, the expert. Who do we learn from to learn how to love others? Well, we should learn from the expert. We should learn from God. 1 John chapter 4 explains this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We learn to love from God and from Jesus. For Israel, they were taught how to love others by the law, and we can also learn from the law, and indeed from the whole Bible. When we look to the Bible to teach us how to love others, we learn from the expert, the original. Learning about love from our passage today, we're reminded of these you shall not commands. And we know that love is more than do not, do not, do not. But it isn't less than those commands. You can't love 
and commit adultery. You can't love and murder someone. You can't love and steal. You cannot love and covet because love does no harm to a neighbour. Now, I don't know about you, but I think don't murder, don't steal, they're pretty obvious, obviously anti-love. But don't covet is a little more subtle. A little bit of murder, that's probably a problem. But a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy, will that really harm my neighbour? Does it really matter? Actually, we see jealousy come up again in verse 13, amongst the old behaviours to be left behind. So I think it warrants a bit of thinking through. Why is jealousy a problem for love? The first Melbourne lockdown in 2020 was 43 days long. And at that time, I was living in an apartment on the west edge of Parkville, and I was living alone. I actually had had a housemate uh, who moved in in February, but when the restrictions came and a study went online, she'd gone back to stay with her parents, you know, just until all this blows over. So I was on my own, and I was dragging myself out of bed, walking around the block to pretend I had a commute, and sitting down at work, and then at the end of the day, I was trying to convince myself to study for my CPA exam, but thinking, it feels like the world is ending and I'm studying tax. <sighs> so it was a slog. I felt alone and it was hard. And I was jealous of people who were living with their partners and with their children and I was feeling the meaninglessness of making tables of tax concessions and flowcharts of CGT scenarios, and I was envious of that meaningful, valuable work that parents were doing in raising their children. Now, just on the other side of my wall and through my web webcam and my computer were other people, my neighbours, my friends. They were struggling in whole new ways too, feeling the strain of lockdowns on relationships, struggling with homeschooling, trying to work and longing for that perfect silence that I was going to hate. How difficult to love them and also be jealous. How difficult to love them even in the limitations of lockdown and also feel envious. How could I even pray for them without letting go of the feeling that my life is hard and their life is easy. Jealousy is the enemy of love. Even in times when it's most true for us that my life is hard and their life is easy, we've heard in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. How can we possibly do that unless we let go of coveting and repent of jealousy. It's been a hard few years and many of us are feeling stretched and burnt out and tired and if that's you, I get it. And if it's tempting to look at someone else and think, it would be easier if I was them. I wish I had what they had. 
I wish my life was like that. Even their life is easy and my life is so hard. I get that. So let's keep putting that thought to death. Let's keep choosing love and empathy and starving out jealousy. Let's keep rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn and loving our neighbour as ourselves selflessly and relentlessly. And Paul gives us a reason to do that now more than ever. And the reason is that Jesus is coming back soon. Look with me at verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. For us to live well, for us to live God's way and love others, we need to understand the present time. We need to understand what's come before, that Jesus has set us free from sin and its power, that we've been given the spirit that enables us to come to obedience. But just as importantly, we need to understand what's ahead. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Our salvation is nearer now than ever before. Now there's two things here that could trip us up. So let's talk through them first. The first one is salvation. What does Paul mean, salvation is near? You might be thinking, surely we've already been saved. Weren't we saved when we first believed? And that's true. Remember where we are in this letter to the Romans. We started this section with chapter 12 with in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Everything that we read in chapter 13 here is in view of what God has already done. We've already been made right with God through Jesus. We've already been released from the law. We've already been saved from death and saved from condemnation. So what does Paul mean by our salvation is near? Well, he means that the fullness of our salvation is yet to be shown. What's near is Jesus' return, Jesus restoring all things our salvation from suffering and death being completed. That future salvation is closer now than ever before. The day of Christ is coming. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Keep going. It's not much further. The second thing that could confuse us is this statement in verse 12 that the night is nearly over. Paul wrote this letter in AD 56 or thereabouts. It is now AD 2022. The day of Christ isn't here. The night has sort of dragged on. Was Paul wrong that he thought Jesus would come back soon, but he was off by a couple thousand years? No, don't worry. 
Remember that Jesus himself had said, you do not know when that time will come. And remember that Paul had already written to the Thessalonians saying, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You've heard the famous quote from Socrates, I only know one thing, that I know nothing. I think Paul knew many things. And one of the things that he knew was that he knew he didn't know when Jesus would return. What he did know was that life is short and this world won't last forever. And he knew what had happened already, that Jesus had brought in the kingdom of God, that his life, death, and resurrection and ascension had been completed and they'd achieved salvation. He knew that the spirit had been given and the gospel was going out. God had completed all of this and the next and final event on his calendar is the return of Christ. So Paul was living in the last days and so are we. We're in this waiting time, this time of anticipation and looking forward. We don't know when Jesus will come back but we know that Jesus' return is near. The night is nearly over. The morning will arrive. Keep going. We're almost there. This message that the day is almost here is a comfort, but it's also a call from verse 12. So, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. When we have the right perspective, when we understand the briefness of this life, and that this world has an expiration date, then we should live like it. Remembering that Jesus is coming back soon should shape our lives. It should shape our behaviour. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Paul tells us to get changed. Get out of your night clothes. Get your armour on. In 2010, Shanghai hosted the World Expo. 192 countries participated and 73 million people visited the city. Shanghai would spend $58 billion on hosting this event. And they wanted to portray the image of Shanghai as the next great world city. But they had a problem. People in Shanghai, some of them liked to wear their PJs out in public. (laughs) Not exactly the sophisticated, modern city image that they were going for. So the city of Shanghai started a campaign to get people to wear proper attire. They made these big red signs that said, pajamas don't go out the door, be a civilised resident for the expo. They recruited volunteer pyjama policemen 
to go around the neighbourhood telling pyjama wearers to go home and get changed. And they paid celebrities to go on TV and say that sleepwear in public is backwards and uncivilised. According to Shanghai, it's just not proper or appropriate to wear your pyjamas out of the house. And Paul would agree. The day is almost here. It's already breaking through. It's just not appropriate anymore to wear our pyjamas. We need the armour of light. We need to act like it's the daytime. From verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. There are things that people do in the nighttime, in the cover of darkness that they just wouldn't do in the day. Drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, all kinds of sin and lack of self-control. And then jealousy and dissension, which unfortunately is about as common in the day as in the night. All of these things belong to the darkness. There's no place for them when Jesus returns. And so there's no place for them among God's people now. As many of you know, last year I quit my job as an accountant at a construction company so that I could take this traineeship this year. That's one of the more dramatic changes, but I expect that almost everyone in this room has at some point quit a job. And if you haven't yet, you certainly will. When I quit, I knew that there was a big job change ahead when I started at St. Jude's. But actually, the day that I quit, my job changed. The day I resigned, a countdown started. I started spending all day long writing process notes and instructions, giving training, doing handovers. I stopped making the changes that I would normally be making and doing the things I would otherwise have done. I knew that everything I did, my successor would have to unpick and understand. When I knew that I was leaving soon, I couldn't keep doing the job the same way. It wouldn't have made any sense to continue as if I'd be there forever when the end was fast approaching. It doesn't make sense for us to continue as if this life and this world would last forever when the end is fast approaching. How will you live knowing that Jesus is coming back soon? Don't let it be the same. Don't let it be as if nothing will ever change. Don't let it be with selfishness, self-indulgence or jealousy. Let it be with love. Paul gives us a final call in our passage today. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the character of Jesus. Remember his selfless love and be shaped by it. If we're not sure what that looks like, we can look back at chapter 12 and its description of sincere love. Or we can jump across to Colossians 3 and hear these words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, 
humility, gentleness and patience. Each morning when you put on your shoes and socks, also put on compassion and kindness. Also put on humility, gentleness and patience. Put on the very character of our Lord Jesus. And we can do that. And we can let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Because of Jesus, we can choose love and put aside the deeds of darkness that hurt others. Let your life be shaped by looking forward to Jesus' return. And keep going. It's not much further now. Let me pray. Father God, Thank you for how you've loved us and made us your children. Thank you for Jesus and his example of perfect selfless love. Thank you for your word to us in the Bible that shapes our lives. Lord, strengthen us as we wait for Jesus' return and work in our hearts so that we live for that day, putting off the deeds of darkness and choosing to love others selflessly and unceasingly. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. We're going to 